your time, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your pain. Don't you know it's not your name? You will always be much more to me. And every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. But that's all right. Cause I hear a voice and it calls me. Another say I'll never be enough. And greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. Oh, in the way, oh, in the way, oh, and greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. Bring your doubts, bring your fears, bring your hurt, bring your tears. No condemnation here. You are holy, righteous, and free. Every time I fall, there will be those who will call me a mistake. But that's okay, cause I hear a voice and it calls me today. When none say I'll never be enough. Greater is the one living morning carpenter's way i'm gonna have to do that every sunday y'all just <laughs> hey if you're in the room if you want to stand and worship with us you're more than welcome you do not have to but you can if you like 
alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remained. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet and my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace, so washes over. I'm a prisoner to force. My shame was a ransom He made holy war He danced with my dead And he called me his friend When death was arrested In my life he did So your grace displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoices over heaven at last. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested in my life Yes, we're free, free, forever. Hey. 
Great I am 
lift him high, all praise to Jesus. Lift him high, for all to sing. Lift him high, the cross of Calvary, where mercy died to set us free. Lift him high, all praise to Jesus. Lift him high, for all to say. Lift him high, the cross of Calvary, where mercy died to set us already standing and you would like to please join me in reading this scripture today all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ even before he made the world God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Amen. I don't know why you love me, but you do. Why you forgive me for the things that I do. Foolish mistakes I make, I take my eyes off of you. Don't know why you love me, but you do. I don't know why you carry all my shame. Why you would freely come and die in my place? Why you would walk my path? Or why you would even look my way? Don't know why you carry all my shame. So I thank you, I 
Morning by morning, new mercy 
faithfulness. God, we thank you that as we read in the scripture today, Lord, that you're so rich in kindness and grace. And you purchased our freedom. And God, we stand in that this morning. And we just ask, Lord, that you would make that more and more real in our hearts, more and more real in our lives. God, that this performance thing that we do doesn't matter. God, we can't understand why you would love someone like us, but God, you do. You do. And you adopt us and you make us your kids and it blows us away. And God, we stand in that grace. We stand in that mercy and we just say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. Amen. I uh, just wanted to say before Mark come up, uh, he has a few announcements. But uh, So last Tuesday, uh, for y'all that don't know, we have a Bible study that meets on campus on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock. And so we had our Bible study, and we noticed a, um, a piece of paper on the window that said the cafeteria is going to be closed, and so, which is not a big deal for any of y'all. But there are some students on campus who do not have cars, and... Um, the cafeteria is closed, and so there's, you know, getting food is going to be kind of difficult. I mean, I'm sure they could have managed, they could have figured it out. Uh, but anyway, I came to, uh, to Mark, I guess, on Wednesday, and we got with Dolores on Wednesday and just kind of threw it out there. It's like, would anybody be interested in bringing food to the college? We need eight meals. So we needed uh, last Saturday through yesterday. And um, I think in, within 24 hours, you guys had stepped up and uh, provided the eight meals which is crazy. Uh, we had a couple that brought some uh, gift cards and just handed them out from, I think, McDonald's. And so I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, thank you to you guys. I know there were more of you who tried to sign up, but it was already full. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to say thanks uh, for your faithfulness. Thank, thank you guys for, for stepping up when there was a need and uh, kind of filling that up. You guys are awesome. Yeah. I don't, <clears throat> I, uh, there are sometimes, I, I'm a forward-looking person. And every once in a while, something grabs me and makes me look backwards a little bit. But Great is Thy Faithfulness is a song that we would sing at Moody Bible Institute when we were just kids. And I used to love to sit. Moody at that time was, was predominantly a ministry school. It's not a liberal arts school. It, it's just a school you go to if you want to be a missionary, a pastor, a youth pastor. 
a worship leader. And uh, I remember sitting in the auditorium with about 2,000 students singing that song. And, and man, I don't, I don't, man, I gotta tell you, I don't know if it's the mix in the back or what, but your singing this morning was just such a blessing. I mean, seriously, that song, it was like being back in chapel. And that is something, something special. And we'll see it again in heaven when there are billions of us worshiping around the throne. But worship is so precious. And we want you to know if you haven't been back yet, you've got to come in here and listen to the music. It's not nearly as good online, and I don't even want it good online, so you'll get your rear ends back here. It is so good. I mean, just, it's so encouraging. And, and it's not performance. And I know that the churches have moved into that, and we got a little bit of the lights and stuff going on. But the fact is, to get together and in unison all agree on the faithfulness of God. That is something powerful. It's powerful not just to us, but it's powerful to the angels and the demons, and God himself is blessed. And we are proclaiming something in unison, put to music. And uh, man, it's so cool. And what a privilege. Uh, Chad told me this week that we filled that up. I mean, we, I was thinking, man, we should do this next year, maybe have the kids in our home. These are international students he's talking about. I'd love for us to adopt some of these kids and get to know them a little bit. But we, this was like the, the day before, a couple days before it needed to start. And, and I just said, look, let's, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's kind of late. Let's see. Maybe we, we threw some ideas out, and he and Dolores decided to do it this route. But you rose to the occasion. And look, um, I know that it's, uh, it's, it's much more amazing to do uh, or, or uh, PR-oriented to do big, huge things, to put on a rally, to, to do a concert of a big-name person. But I got to tell you something. Um, about a church that just quietly is willing to feed 15 students that they don't know, that just rocks my world. That's the real deal to me. There's so much hype, and, and it's okay. It's good. Hype is okay. I, I'm glad to be involved in the big things. But man, it's the little things. You know, C.S. Lewis, I believe, who said, character is what you do when nobody's looking. Well, that isn't just at home. That's also in your ministry. And for those of you and those who didn't get to this week, uh, participate with us in ministering to these kids. You may never be thanked, but God was glorified. And it is a privilege to watch you do that. It is a privilege to listen to you sing. It is a privilege to get up here and open God's Word and then to hear from you what God is teaching. And uh, wow, what Julie and I and Zach and Hannah and Anna are so honored to be here. We love you. Uh, this is, if this is my life as a missionary... I got a great calling, and uh, I just want to take a second and tell you how much I love you and how much you spur me on to want to know God better, and uh, so thanks, uh, thanks for all that. So on that note, let me run a couple announcements real quick. Number one, it is time now. If your God is calling you uh, or even your heart is pricked to, to go to Brazil this summer, now's the time to get that information, and you can always talk to Robert Grimes, who's the pastor of missions here, or Jared Pig. But if you want to go right to the horse, no offense, no offense, Kevin and Pam. But Kevin and Pam oversee specifically Pam. Kevin just follows along. Uh, but Pam, run, oh, and Kevin's on the board there, so I'm teasing him. But, but talk to them if you're interested in going. Uh, we have a good group already, but we need a few more to, to build out the team. And let me say this, and I say this very cautiously. If money is your fear, don't let that scare you. If God is calling you to go, you're going to go, well, where am I going to come up with that money? We'll make sure you go if God's calling you to go. Just, 
I don't want to make any commitments, um, but I want you to know that this church commits so much to missions that if you genuinely have a need to go, if God's calling you and you haven't gone every year the last year, I mean, if this is really a unique experience for you, we want you to go. This church wants you to go. Our budget is set to make sure you go. We want to help you raise your money, but if you can't raise it all, we'll help you get there. Okay, I'm not over-promising. I'm simply telling you that we want every person in this church to get into international waters and serve the Lord and see brothers and sisters and reach people for Christ, not just because they need it, God can send an angel, but because we need it. It's good for our church and our vision. With that being said, our Guatemala trip is beginning. Uh, and we do have a set date. Uh, Kip, do you have the date of that offhand? July 23rd through the 30th. If you're interested in going, uh, I asked Kip instead of Jeremy because I understand Kip and Paula are leading that trip this year. Thank you, Jeremy, for leading from way behind. <laughs> Kip doesn't know. I should have asked Paula. I know them well enough. But anyway, so if you're interested in going uh, to a little less south, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm a pastor. I don't know math or geography. Um, but if you're interested in going, please talk to Jeremy. And I'm just kidding. You can talk to any of them, the overbees. You can talk to, uh, uh, what, what's your name? Kip and Paula. Um, we want you to go. And again, please don't let Satan use money as an excuse. We, we'll get you there. Okay? I, 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 don't, I don't exactly know what that means. It's just, I just want to say, yes, we want you to raise your money, but don't let money be a problem. We'll put you to work here and we'll fund it. Okay, seriously. So with all that being said. Okay, one more thing that's off subject. In this, uh, we are in the process right now of transitioning over our Wi-Fi system to a much better system, much faster system. With all that being said, the guest thing is not working well this morning. Uh, it will start this afternoon working better. We're still in process of that. So thank you for putting up with that. Don't complain. You bought a data plan anyway. Just use your stinking data plan. And I'm fully aware that the Sprite is out on the Coke machine. Steve? Steve Hicks, are you in the room? We need Sprite. <laughs> First world problems. <laughs> okay. Let's pray. Let's pray. I'm so excited for this morning. God, thank you for your word, and thank you for what you're doing in our life, and what you're doing in our church, and uh, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness, and your faithfulness is an air conditioning and a safe building. Otherwise, you would be unfaithful to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and Russia and China. Your faithfulness is that you never abandon us and you provide our needs. And, and, and there are many times you provide our wants, and we're thankful for those little gifts. Lord Jesus, I think you're teaching us right now the big picture. And even within the church, the little picture is taken over. What can God do for me? And now that we're saved, that your faithfulness goes into a million years from now, that, our, that, that we are going to be rewarded in heaven? How could you love us enough to do that? But we're going to be blessed and rewarded in heaven, and that's our place of rest. So in turn, we now submit our life to you. And for those who don't know you this morning, Father, may today be the day of their salvation. And for those who don't know you well enough to surrender, may today be a day of joy and surrender and hope. Uh, above all else, may we enjoy our time in your word today, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak clearly through your word, that the words of Mark would fade away, that the words of God would endure forever and transform us. So we, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think most of you are probably familiar with the last two verses of the whole Bible. Uh, it is the last book of the Bible. You're 
probably aware of this, but I want to keep teaching you. The Bible is not one book. It's 66 books written over a period of 1,400 years by at least 44 different authors. Uh, one of those books in the New Testament, the last book is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, that book is the wrap-up. It actually reveals Christ. How's he going to clean us up? How's he going to take us back to our new Garden of Eden? That's the story of the Bible. Jesus is in the middle because he is the means by which people are restored into a right relationship with God. But the ending of Revelation is how God cleans this up. And it ends with two verses. John writes, He who is the faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. So first thought, wrap up. The Lord says, I'm coming soon. Be patient. And John responds, Amen. Which, by the way, is Aramaic for yes, do it. Come on, I agree with that. The word amen isn't just a term we use in church. It means, yes, I'm in full agreement with what was just said. So John responds after having this vision, amen, it's true, I agree with it. And then he says, Maranatha, or in English, come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. I think I was 10 years old, and, and forgive me, after you're here for about 16 years, you start retelling stories. So you've, many of you have heard this before, but I remember seeing Thief in the Night when I was about 10 years old. Do you guys remember that? Does, who remembers the movie series Thief in the Night? Thank you, people who are as old as I am. So Thief in the Night was a movie series. There was actually, we talked about the end of times before uh, Tim LaHaye and uh, uh, Jenkins started their book series. Uh, this was it. This was a 1970s version of the pre-trib rapture, and if you weren't saved, it gave you, uh, it was like three or four movies, and it basically you got to experience or see what life was like in the writer's eyes of the tribulation. The goal of it was to scare Satan out of you, to scare the, the paganism out of you, to, to draw you to Jesus, and it was very effective. For those 18 people who saw it, remember the little clock? <laughs> you guys do remember that, right? Well, it, it worked, because I got saved 752 times <laughs> during the mirror. Do you remember, do you remember the very end uh, where the guy jumps, they throw him into the, off the dam, and he dies? You know, you've been left behind. That was the movie song. You've been left behind. And it was like, <laughs> don't leave me behind. Well, I was 10, and my parents terrified me. Um, and, and to say this, though, that there's a place for that. Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord and his judgment it's talking about is the beginning of wisdom. So, I mean, God's judgment is something to be feared. Jesus talked about it a lot. So there's a place for that. But I was 10 years old. I got saved 700 times. And I remember one day, it was a couple months after I had seen that, I was out in the backyard being abused by my parents because I had to take the trash out to the corner. And I... I, I was carrying a trash can out, and I looked up in the sky, in this beautiful blue San Diego sky, and there was one really thick round cloud. And I looked up at that, and I knew it. It was exactly like the movie. It was the cloud upon which Jesus would descend. And I literally remember to this day dropping the trash can, running in the house, going, Dear Jesus, save me if I've sinned, and I haven't forgotten. I and I ran, and I screamed in the house, Oh, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And why did I do that? Not because I was excited, but because I was terrified. And, and, you know, I know we all kind of go, uh, but, but it is kind of scary. Death is scary. And, and, and the problem is that that mentality took over, even within the church, the return of Christ. It's become, and, and look, I appreciate what Tim LaHaye did 
uh, and uh, Jerry Jenkins did with the Left Behind series that was supposed to be a series of three or four books and turned into seven. There's a lot of money in that. I appreciate that. It's okay. But the truth is, for the church, that's supposed to be our blessed hope. The return of Christ is how we get out of here. And over the past few months, as we've studied in Acts, and as we've gone through the teaching of Jesus, and now we're, we're in 1 Peter, I hope you're beginning to see that, the, that the, uh, the apostles, the authors, the writers of these letters and books are emphasizing, and even Jesus, to move your hope from now to then. It is over and over and over again. And, and I think most of us just think, again, when we think about the return of Christ, immediately we go, well, am I saved? I'm saved. Okay, let me go back to living now. And I believe that the church in much of, in much of her gathering emphasizes the now and the you because it keeps telling you how much you fall short. And that's true, but we just sang about the faithfulness of God. And God's faithfulness continues for all of your sin to be forgiven. And so actually what the church is supposed to do is take your eyes off of the here and now, which is difficult and has always been difficult, and put it on the then. And why can I put it on the then? Because it's, it's completely promised by the hymn. You see, I believe that Satan at times even gets the church to take our eyes off of Jesus by our modern thinking. Yes, it's still Christian, and yes, it still has a fish on it, but it's really not about God. It's about now that you're not going to hell, clean your life up. The problem is that's not what the New, teach, New Testament teaches. I mean, there's part of it that does. James, don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. But you realize that each of those phrases within their context tell you that it's the Holy Spirit that transforms you. And that if you confess your sin, he's faithful, and he's just to, uh, to forgive your sin and cleanse you from most of your sin. Oh, did somebody say I was wrong? It's all. It's all your unrighteousness, past, present, and future. So sin is no longer my problem. My problem is focus. Do I trust God with tomorrow? Do I trust God with today? Do I trust with anything? And the answer is, no, I work harder. I don't want to have to trust God. When I run out of things, when I run out of things to uh, 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 options, then I trust God. I mean, that's kind of, look, I'm not alone in this, right? I guess we're done with trying. Now we have to pray. Oh, has it come to this that we have to lean on God? But we live in a culture and a world where we're always fixing our lives. And I would argue that the church constantly gives you three or four points in which for you to fix your life. And I'm here to tell you there's only one, and that's Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit, when he begins to work within you, he begins to tell you how to make changes. Things that need to be adjusted here or there. But the danger is the difference between a, a Mormon and a true Spirit-led believer is the fruit of the Spirit as you walk with God, not the behavior of your life. And we evaluate everything based upon behavior. It's on character. But getting back to this text... Um, just, just, to, just to make my point stronger, in even Colossians chapter 3, which is not Peter, it's Paul, he says this, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. And just let that sink in for a second. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. So he just finished telling you, and leave it up there, Kevin, but he just finished telling you, and, and I know you don't know this this morning, but about how you're saved and that, it's, that, that God, you are no longer the enemy of God because of the work of Jesus. I mean, read it. It is a wonderful letter. But then he goes, since you have been raised to new life, since you're saved, since you are the child of God, here's what you've got to do now. 
set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Next verse. Think about the things of heaven, not the things on the earth. For you have died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Colossae church, as he's writing this, he wants them to understand, you are saved. Now that you're saved, you need to stop being obsessed with life. And they were. Even their Judaism, even the the Gentiles, they were all about making a good life, about having the Jewish way, about the moral character, about having the world leadership that they wanted. All the same things that we obsess over. But Paul is responding to that by saying, look, you need to live in in your mind and the way you think the realities of heaven because you have died to this life. And I think it's hard for us to buy into that because we still, every day is so real. But this is the constant teaching. And throughout Peter's teaching, and he's writing, as you know, to believers that are enduring persecution at this time, they're being uh, beat up or scared of being beat up. Many of them have lost family. Many of them have lost relationships of family. Many of them have lost jobs simply because they're followers of Jesus. Their dreams of being a follower of Jesus and going to heaven when you die and having a good life are dashed. And they're worried it's going to get worse, which Peter seems to say it is going to get worse. And that is why he wrote 2 Peter, because the persecution becomes very intense. We're going to walk right in from 1 to 2. And we'll talk about the change in between. But Peter wants them to understand a simple principle in their mind. 1 Peter 4, 7a. The end of the world is coming soon. And while... In Nostradamus' writings, that's terrifying. And to the world, it's like, yes, it'll be nuclear holocaust. To the people he's writing to, this was encouraging. I want you to, just for a second, I want you to realize that these people are so scared and frustrated and angry. Can anybody relate? I mean, it looks like Disney's taking a turn for the left. I mean, Disney's always dabbled in, in witchcraft. Sorry, I know. I'm that guy. But now they're about to, they're about to attack social characteristics. I mean, even there, they decided there was a decision last week, at least at this point, to put in the new, uh, in one of their new movies, uh, Lightyear, Buzz Lightyear, they're going to have a same-sex kiss at least one. Why? Because that's their agenda. They said that the reason they're doing it is they're mad at Florida for saying that parents should be made aware if the kid's getting counseling, blah, blah, blah. Don't want to get political. They just put this other movie out about a coming of age where it has a significant part of a girl's time of the month. And I I don't know about you, but I don't watch Cars in order to have my kids parent it. I want to turn my brain off and see how close they can make the Arizona desert and the New Mexico desert look like that. And it's fun. It's a race car movie. But the world has an agenda, and it's going to be cute. I take you back, and I I, I want to double down on Milan, okay? This is going to offend some of you. I know. I know you think I'm taking it too serious. But having gone to Madagascar and having to fight the ideology of ancestral worship, Coco and Milan are not great movies. They're, They're spiritual lies. 
They tell you that your ancestors are taking care of you and they come with wisdom. That's exactly what's being taught in the pagan worshipers all over the globe, from Africa to the island of Madagascar. And we are taking our kids because the music is beautiful. So you think we should turn movies off? No, I'm, I'm not legalistic. I'm just saying you better know what you're letting your kids. I, I, I told you last week and you thought it was funny, but my two-year-old grandson, and I said he was my nephew. I found out this week he's my grandson. But my two-year-old grandson, I, I had forgotten how smart two-year-olds are. That kid is picking up everything. I mean, his grandmother has a foul mouth, and now she's having to restrain herself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. I'm running out of jokes. I've never used Julia's jokes until the last few weeks because I'm running out of humor. But it's not true. It's just the thing is he picks everything up. And I mean, it's, it's crazy. We'll, we'll buy him new cars, and he calls these... Um, the, the car, a car with like a sports thing on it, a race car, he calls it a kachow car. You know why? Because it, it, he's connecting the movie. I'm simply telling us that the world is changing, but our answer is not, let's pull out of the world, let's do our thing. It's just be aware and remember, it's about to come to an end. One of the things, and then I'll, I'll get back with my, my notes here, Kevin, but one of the things that shocked me on Wednesday night when we went through Revelation and this is kind of an overriding principle of this week's text. After, uh, as we went through Revelation, this time through, and I've read it many times, it really stuck out to me that under the throne of God are martyrs. And the martyrs are crying out for vengeance. When are you going to avenge our blood, Lord? And the Lord says, when the last one I've chosen to be martyred is martyred. Now, don't get into the martyr thought. I'm simply saying this, that part of God being our Lord is that he promises you don't, have to be, you don't have to be vengeful, I'm going to take care of it. I got this. Trust me, even with the time. So as we look at a Disney movie and we go, why would they do that? The answer is because they're depraved. Okay? Because they're depraved. And because that's their value system. That, that's the world. The world is the world. You're not going to change the world by yelling at them, by, by making it illegal or legalizing it. Uh, morality cannot be litigated. Ask Marxism. It may not be your morality, but people always rebel against moral compass set by the government. You cannot kill people fear into a moral behavior. There are still gays in the Middle East. And they're throwing them off the buildings. My point is that you, what, we are, what, what we do is we learn to trust, we learn to wait, we put our hope in him. And that's the point of 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of the world is coming soon. And, and, and as part of this, another thing the New Testament teaches us about this is that this isn't a sprint. It's not a sprint from the baptismal pool or the altar into the new kingdom. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, listen to the wording because it matters, Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us run with endurance the race that God has. What? So in other words, he's the one who outlined the path. He's the one who set the path that you are walking. Well, I don't like my path. Then walk away. But he has set the path. And this is a consistent teaching in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Remember, in Proverbs, it says that while we set our path, God sets our steps. In Psalms, it says the same thing, that God delights in the details of our lives. It's really important for us to understand that God is in charge. He's doing the detailing, and he has set a race before us, and we need to run with endurance. Why do we need to run with endurance? Because this is not a sprint. This is a long-term run. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. 
Well, Peter points out in 1 Peter 4, 7 that they, uh, they won't win, that, in the, that their win is going to be in the distant future, not right now. And he gives them, as a result, when he tells them, just so you know, the end of the world is coming soon. Whew, okay. Maybe it's Friday. Well, we all know it didn't come Friday. And yet he said it's coming soon. So in other words, it's on God's time schedule. Now, I want all these things to kind of mush into your brain. It's still soon, according to God, while they died not having seen it. Hebrews 11 talks about that. That some go on without receiving what God has promised. And why am I saying this? Because you and I are no different than any Christians ever from the Old Testament saints to the New Testament saints. We're looking at a world that is becoming less comfortable for us and more frustrating and is, and is on the verge. And our feelings are just like, I think, the people Peter is writing to going, it's going to get worse. It, it is getting worse. Who's going to stop this? And then you look at the polls every day and you go, well, maybe Trump will stop it because there's an election three years away. Well, there's a lot of damage that can be done between now and then. And I got news for you. If Trump is your hero, you've got low standards. Seriously. Jesus Christ has a plan for the destruction of this world that was set in action by the sin in the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what God promised. And there is no stopping it. For those who are concerned that we need to keep watching so that we can slow down the Antichrist or the mark of the beast, do you really want to? I mean, what does that say about where you've rested your hope? If you actually aren't longing for the return of Christ whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, mill, if you aren't actually looking forward to the return of Christ, then your attitude is different than that of John. Our attitude's different. John was like, okay, so the one who watched me write this down and gave me this vision says he's coming soon. Yeah, amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And it sounds so beautiful in, okay, and I'm talking to those people my age. It sounds so beautiful in Hebrew, Maranatha. Sing Maranatha to the Lord. And then the women's kicked in. Do you guys remember that? The same 18 who watched that? Thief in the night. And then the women would kick in. And then the music leader would go, Sing Maranatha. And then the drums would come in and somebody in the back would go, Drums are from the devil. Remember the fights? That was the church, but we didn't think about it. Oh, Maranatha is such a good word. Oh, I love the word Maranatha. We put it on our cars, in our bumper stickers, in the middle of our fish. Maranatha, we have no idea what he's saying. He's saying, I'm ready. And while in a room like this, we go, I'm ready. When we walk out the door, we're going, where are we going to lunch? I'm ready for good service today. I'm ready for 80 degrees today. I'm ready. I'm ready for my insurance company to pay for my roof that got damaged with ice last week. Well, thank God for slow insurance companies because it's coming again tomorrow night. It's brought to you by KTRE Weather this morning. Thank you for watching. But it's just true. I mean, do you understand? Look, I'm not dogging you. I am with you. Most of the times when I make jokes is because I'm the one doing those things. I am still, I'm watching the war. I'm watching what's going on in the world. I'm watching what's happening with our president. I'm watching the polls. I'm wondering what's going on in our country. Why? Because Mark's flesh is still tied very closely to this world. And I look at this and he's going, the end of the world's coming. <sighs> yeah. Where John's going, yeah. This world has been painful since I started following you, Lord. Come, come avenge me. Come fix this. I've now seen it. And he saw what happens during the tribulation period. But to be clear, just because we're awaiting a sovereign plan to happen, 
does not mean, and I want to say that I actually think this is sinful. This is wrong thinking. Be careful here. Somebody's going to get upset in this room. We are not called to hunker down. We are not called to sit back and just watch. We are not called to uh, prep. If you want to prep, there's nothing wrong with that unless that's your obsession. We have work to do. Because whether we're the peop- last generation to be missionaries before the return of Christ, or we are four generations away, the calling of the child of God is clear. Ephesians, would you put it up there? God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. And, and all God's people says? So you just said, yeah, that's true. I know that, Pastor. I know that to be true. It's a gift from God. Go on. Salvation isn't a reward for good things we've done. None of us can boast about it. To which God's people who really know salvation say, amen, or yeah, or yeehaw, whatever you want to say, yeah. But here, look at this. For we are God's masterpiece. Pause there. That doesn't mean you're beautiful, although you are. That just means you're the work of God. We've turned this into a weird pillow thing. It's not. It just says that you are God's work of art. You're not your own. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, and now he's going to tell us why. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So our work, our behavior, our duty, our responsibility, our lives here are actually part of his work. And I assure you that his plan was not for you to buy a $200,000 hole-in-the-ground house where you go hide. He did not get with the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ 15,000 years ago and go, well, I hope in 2022 my children will go hide in a hole because... Ooh, it's going to get bad for them. I mean, it's going to get really bad. I just hope, I, boy, I tell you, I don't know what they're going to, how, how they're going to handle this. Not once did he do that. In fact, he sent the Israelites into slavery in Egypt for 400 years because he needed to incubate them back to life. I mean, the, the interesting thing about God is when you're living it, you feel like it's crazy, out of control, chaos, just the result of the depravity of man. But when you look back and you read the Old Testament and you look from 30,000 feet, you realize God is moving the pieces on the chessboard. And it's cool to see what God does with Joseph without thinking that for 13 years he lived in nothing but terror and prison. The guy, the guy finally makes it in Potiphar, the security chief of Pharaoh's house. He finally makes it. He's the security chief of the guy's house, and the dude's wife starts accusing him of raping her. I mean, could you imagine what that felt like to Joseph? But I do want to remind you of something about Joseph. Joseph should have known that God was in control. Why, Pastor Mark? Not because he had the Bible. He didn't have the Bible. There was no written text. Can somebody please tell me why Joseph should have known that God was in control and the bottom of the pit when his brothers threw him in there and jail would not be the end of him? Because he had a dream. God met with him and said, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you powerful. Your, your family's all going to bow down to you. So when his brothers threw him in the pit, he should have known, well, I'm going to rise up. And when, it, when Potiphar's wife had him thrown in jail, he should have known he was going to rise up. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, Come on, Mark, that's asking too much from him. Unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it is asking too much. But God did give him a warning. And you've got a warning. Here it is. I'm going to fix this. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, here we go. Back to 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, and because of that, you need to be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. 
As much as I love the New Living Translation, in this particular case, I think the, uh, I think the New American Standard does a better job really giving you the oomph of what it's saying. The end of all things is near, the New American Standard says. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now, now look, this is, so, this is so poignant for today. The first foundational instruction to the readers here who were scared and to us is that we need to be pray, prayerful, not chicken little. We should not be panicking. When it says be of sober spirit, of sound judgment, it, it's, and this is needed so badly today, he is saying that when you're persecuted, when the economy is bad, when the world is evil, when you have the wrong president, when the king is whatever, when the world is killing each other, when you don't have enough money, first of all, be of sober judgment. This is the result of what happened in the Garden of Eden. We were warned about it, we chose it. But then second, what Peter's readers were experiencing, what we are experiencing right now, is what must happen for God's will to be accomplished and things to be wrapped up down here. And so, for the second time in this letter, Peter calls for them and us to be clear-thinking people, not freaked out, uh, simply because Glenn Beck or Nostradamus tells us otherwise. Glenn Beck has a vested interest in the United States of America. Why? Because he's a Mormon. And America is the Mormon's religion. The reason he wants us all to rise up, and it may be good things, it may be moral things, but I want to make it clear. It is Glenn Beck's theology, his view of God, that makes him such a freak out. Because America is the great hope of the Mormon church. Jesus Christ came to the Americas because the Jews failed, so they came to the Americas, and that is why they are the, uh, the church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. Not old saints, but the Latter-day Saints. So Christ came to the Americas. Read the Book of Mormon. It's very interesting. It's nuts, but it's interesting. And I don't mean to slam them. It's just hopeless. It really isn't a religion that needs God. It's just a religion that needs lots of good Mormons. You get married, you get to be married forever. Why? So you can have your own planet. If you're a good Mormon, you get your own planet and you can fill it with people. And by the way, those of you who are Mormons who don't know this, that are offended at what I'm saying, those are what they refer to when they talk about the deeper things of teachings. You don't need to worry about those things. The truth is, Jesus Christ is the Savior, not the church. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the only one who can save you. Why? He's the only perfect one. He's not the brother of Satan. He's the child of God. And Lucifer was just an angel. I don't know why we keep elevating the angels to this great position, but all you've got to do is be of sober judgment. What does that mean? You've got to know what's true. And I'm not telling you that I'm here to tell you what truth is. It's God's word. It's right here. Be of sound judgment. I, we are to understand our world and what's going on around us in light of the scriptures. And then we help others understand that the world is not spinning out of control. It's simply that our dad is at work like Joseph should have known when he was thrown into the pit. Nothing's changed, just technology. Rather than freaking out, rather than reacting like we used to before we met Jesus, rather than reacting like the world, we are, we are to pray and not panic. John 5, 16, the earnest prayer of a righteous per person has great power and produces wonderful results. Just a side note, did many of you learn that verse in the King James? Yeah, I did too, and that's why I keep putting a th at the end. I don't know why. I just did that. The earnest prayer of a righteous person availeth much. So that's a little note. Had nothing to do with my message. Do you remember prayer? 
It's not just a thing you do before dinner. It's what your grandmother taught you to do. It's, uh, it's that thing you do when you are interacting with God. It's, it's something you do all the time. It's, it's, it's when you're lonely. You talk to God. It's, it's what you did when you were in VBS, right? Every class started with prayer. It's what you do naturally when you get scared. Peter wants us to make prayer a central part of our difficult daily life. While it won't change God's plan for the world, it will most definitely change how we view it and how we feel about it and how we see our role within it. Again, C.S. Lewis said, it's not that change prayer, or prayer changes the mind of God, it's that prayer changes the heart of man. And boy, do we need that. Because we walk into Christianity thinking this is just about going to heaven, when in reality, it's a transformation. We become, we become the temple in this life. So let's start praying. Sober, clear-thinking, thoughtful, sincere, authentic prayers. 1 Peter 4, 7-9. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most importantly of all, continue. This is so weird. Most importantly. Don't skip that. Because we all are going, so the most important thing is that I pray more. Uh, Not apparently not. There's something that's more important. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those in need of a meal or a place to stay. Wow, what a weird verse. So more importantly than my my, uh, prayer life is, is my love and how I show deep love for others. Isn't it interesting that he says most importantly? I mean, if I said the most important thing you can do is love others and then pray, many of you would go, I I think he's just overspeaking like when he said his grandson is his nephew. But that's what Peter is saying here. But actually, to be honest with you, the Greek here could have been translated before you do anything else. So it isn't really this is more important. It's if you're going to pray and you want your prayers to be heard, you better love each other. Wow. So now you know why I was moved by what you did with the international students. I didn't once talk about it from the pulpit. We didn't have time. I didn't even mention it Wednesday night. I just knew that Dolores could get the word out and we didn't know what you would do and you rose up. For those of you who didn't, be faster. For those of you who didn't know about it, you didn't read those emails I told you you're going to get. Read the emails. Oh, I get so many emails. Well, the only one that matters during the week is the one you get from your mortgage company and Carpenter's Way Baptist Church. Those are the only ones that matter. And I, I, know, I know it's a little frustrating, but it, listen, it's the only way we can communicate, and the world is moving fast, and every day is a new day. And so just, just look at them. Most of them probably don't affect you personally, but just scan them. The prayer things you need to know who to pray for, but just, just read through them so you know what to be involved in and stuff. But I was so blessed this week. That was so, you know, it's one thing for me to say, I was talking to Franklin Graham this week, and he'd like to come to East Texas and at Carpenter's Way do a conference. You guys would walk out of here so excited. And we would fill this place 10 times over, right? And that's fine. But you actually, within a few hours, filled up dinners for a bunch of no-name college kids from all over the world that you didn't even know. And I got to tell you something. As a pastor, that makes me so proud. That makes me so proud because that's what he's talking about here. You see, if we try to pray without the fruit of the Spirit and we'll say love in here, what are we praying about? 
You might as well be a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or a moralistic atheist. The truth is that walking with God changes you. It literally changes the way you think. And that's what Peter is doing here. He's changing the way we perceive life. And he is saying, look, the foundation of your ministry, is it, the foundation of your prayer, the foundation of everything is a changed life. And that's why he says most importantly or foundationally. And this is crazy because it's all over the New Testament. Listen to, I'm going to just jump through some of these verses. John 13, 34 to 35. So now I'm giving you a new covenant. Jesus is speaking. Love each other just as I loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And the Apostle John talked about it. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And we are even blessed in the New Testament with a description of what that love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13 is not for married couples, although it's fine and romantic. It's about living as family of God. If I could speak, and it's so logical, listen to 1 Corinthians 13 and its logic. If I could speak the language, all the languages of the earth, and even of angels, but I didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Uh, just, just pause for a second. This makes total sense. We all know godly men and women who are total jerks. So I don't care what their theology is, I'm not even interested in their theology. Show me first that your life has been transformed, and then I'll listen to what you have to say about God. That's all he's saying. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and by the way, he's not saying anybody does or can. He's simply using hyperbole. Even if I knew all that, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, can I just pause? Has any of you ever seen anybody with mustard seed faith move mountains? And the answer is no, no matter what you think about what I'm about to say. And you know why nobody's ever moved a mountain with the faith of a mustard seed? Because it's an example. It's hyperbole. Nobody can, nobody ever has. It's an example. And the point is not how to move a mountain. Otherwise, there'd be no need to hire excavators. The point is, even if you could and you don't love, it's wasted energy. This is so important. If I gave everything I had to the poor, and I even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I'd gain nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Ooh. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It even keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love, we're going to have that into eternity. And now a warning to those of you who don't like the church. This is very, very important in East Texas because I'm, it's not unusual for me to meet a person and I'm having lunch with somebody in our church and they introduce me to their friend and they find out I'm a pastor and they kick into, oh, I'm talking to a pastor mode, which is a weird thing. 
Invariably they say, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus too. I just don't like the church. Okay, all right. So my dear friend, this is for you. 1 John 4, 19. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a L, what's that word? Liar. Liar. Come on. You don't have to go to church to be saved. Well, you have to love the church to be saved, apparently. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Boy, that's a tough text for a lot of Christians in East Texas, isn't it? I was told recently, and you may be listening, but I was told recently that I do my worshiping on my boat fishing every Sunday morning. You're disobeying God. How's that working for you? Well, I sure like the fish, but you stink. That was funny. That was a play on the fish mouth. The truth is, you can't do one or the other. Listen, the body of Christ is part of our task, and it isn't, if you are claiming to love God but not love his children, you have a problem with 1 John 4, 19 through 5, 1, and you've got to deal with that. The badge of a true believer. Uh, one of the uh, fighters in Ukraine right now is actually one of the Miss America. Uh, she was Miss Ukraine. Did you guys see those pictures on Facebook? It's pretty remarkable. Her, she was in the world pageant or something. I don't know all that stuff. But, but she had Miss Ukraine, of course, across the sash. The sash of a believer is love. It's not a fish on the back of your car. It's not, it's, it's, it's not any of that. It's not, uh, it's not a doctrinal statement you hand out to everybody you meet. It's a sash that naturally says, I love you because God loved me. I love his church because God loved me. That apparently is the sash of the believer. Well, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and when I was five and I walked an aisle, I'm just not going to do that. That's fine, but that is not salvation. Biblical salvation is not walking an aisle or being baptized. Biblical salvation is having the Holy Spirit come and transform you into a new person. If it is possible for you to live your whole life committing adultery, if it is possible for you to live your whole life without the fellowship of the family of God, then either Scripture's wrong or you're wrong. I'm not laying out a legalistic thing here where you have to attend church. I'm simply saying you will attend church. Well, how often? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. All I know is if you didn't hear the singing this morning, boy, did you miss out. Well, I'm sure glad I watched it online. It ain't the same. It isn't the same. There's something about looking each other in the eye and going, it's okay. God's good. All right, back to our text. The love Peter is ta uh, talking about too apparently accomplishes two things. And there's no scripture uh, for this, Kevin. This is what I was talking about. First, it allows us to tolerate and even forgive each other. So for those of you who don't like the church, they're hard to like. But the God-given love from the Holy Spirit helps us tolerate and forgive each other. The second thing, that was verse 8. It says that love covers a multitude of sins. So there's lots of people offending each other. We know it. That's why we gather and you, you know, become part of the solution. Second, verse 9, 
it'll cause us to take care of each other. Cheerfully share your home with those in need of a meal or a place to stay. And to that, I want to say you're doing well. Now, don't stop. What you did this week was awesome. And read your emails and get faster. Because it's like a thing here. It's like a thing here. First people in, get more gold in heaven. <laughs> that is so not true. But sometimes we lie to get people to move. So not only are we to pray nonstop and genuinely love each other, but we are to serve each other. So we're getting to the finish here, okay? God has given, and remember, so let's start over again. So what this is, is this is Peter saying, look, I know you're scared. I know you're frustrated. I know things aren't going the way you would dream they would go. But here's the thing. The end of the world is coming soon. Okay, good. God's going to fix it. I finally get to the place where justice reigns. I, I'm wealthy. I'm taken care of. Money isn't a problem. While you're waiting, make sure you pray a lot. And, and, and the foundation of that prayer needs to be the Spirit's work through you, especially in loving each other. Here's what love does. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love helps you take care of each other. And as the world gets weirder and darker, you're going to need that. And then here's the final thing in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve each other. So those of you online who are discounting gathering as a church, now you have a problem with the next passage. Because if you don't gather with God's people regularly and systematically, how can you use your spiritual gifts? That's the point here. We are here together. The, the gift of the church is so that when outside these walls they get nuts, inside these walls everything is exactly the same as it's always been. Jesus Christ, Savior, King, and Prophet. It never changes. That's why their scripture says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever ago. Because we gather together and go, yes, the world is dumb. Yes, Disney is disappointing. Yes, this and this and this. But Jesus never is any of those things. When you catch your spouse sinning, uh, uh, whatever the sin may be, Jesus Christ will not sin against you. He's the perfect husband. When you're disappointed with an unfair government, an unjust government, Jesus Christ is the perfect. But it isn't a democracy. It's a theocracy. So bow the knee. So here's our instructions. Love each other. Pray. And then serve each other. Use them well to serve each other. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. If there are pastors watching today, it doesn't matter your opinions on families. What matters is God's word. Give them God. Jesus, if you're looking for a church, do not settle for a church that makes your life better. Settle for a church that only teaches you about how God will transform your eternity. Amen. It's not about you. It's not about now. It's about him and forever. Please, I beg of you, God's word taught systematically, contextually. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Wow. There you go. He's going to fix it. This thing that's weird right now is not going to be weird forever. It's going to be destroyed. And the people that are offending you and hurting you that you want to vindicate yourself on, let God do it. Jesus said that too. Vengeance is mine. And I guess it's okay for you to ask for vengeance, but then put it down at the altar. Put it down at the altar. And live your task. Well, I don't know what my task is. And you may not know it until you get to heaven what your task was. But I will tell you this. You know clearly what you're supposed to do. 
Well, what is that? Pray. Love others. Serve the body of Christ. That means giving financially. That means volunteering for children's ministry. Oh, I've had 13 kids. I don't want to work with children ever again. Wow, I'm sure glad God didn't feel that way. You should be serving. Tired. You're going to be more tired. I'm scared. You're going to get more scared. Unless if hey, come to Carpenter's Way. It's a joyous message. <laughs> but the truth is our hope is then. Do you see it? It's all over the New Testament. Our hope is them, and we've tried to make our hope now. Our hope is them. Our hope is in the Lord. Galatians 5.13, and then we will close it in prayer. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Lord Jesus, we do love you. We're so glad you love us. Lord, we, we are frustrated with the world. Whether we are politically on the right or the left, we are frustrated with the world. Our country's divided. The church is divided because we have taken our eyes off of Jesus. And so I pray that through this, we would put our eyes back on you. We love you. We just need to trust you. Thank you for saving us from hell. Now save us from ourselves. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. At the end of the services, we started a couple weeks ago, that if the Lord has been speaking to you or you just want to, over here in this corner, uh, we have communion elements, and you are invited to come up and take communion with your family or by yourselves or just talk to the Lord. We just want you to react to, to God speaking to you in your heart. So please feel free to do that. You don't have to. Uh, and thank you very much. It's going to be a beautiful afternoon. God bless you guys. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes.